Hi everyone, it's Sophie here and welcome to the Levant X podcast. We have Jad Rusen on the line. Jad is a journalist. He is based in Beirut and we currently want to talk to him about all of the things that are happening on the ground. I mean, there's so many different things happening in several different aspects of the country. Um, but we believe that there is going to be a common thread uh, that links, you know, the latest behavior. So Jad, thank you so much for being on the line with us today. Thank you, Sophie. Glad to be here. Jad, I want to start off by let, giving you a chance to just introduce yourself to our audience, you know, tell them a little bit about you before we get into, uh, you know, the nitty gritty of Lebanon's politics today. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Lebanese, a Lebanese journalist. I worked as a TV news reporter for around uh, 10 years. Uh, and uh, I, made, I made some documentaries also, but uh, last year uh, I resigned and I had a move planned to Dubai, but then it didn't work out because the Saudis didn't like my move to TV owned by them. And uh, so I decided to uh, not return to my old TV station and uh, focus more on the work that I have began since 2019 uh, on YouTube, uh, where I found my podcast, which is going fine and hopefully yours too. That's it. Shad, uh, thank you for that small introduction about yourself. So everyone, as you can see, you know, independent journalism is taking social media by storm. There's a, there's a lot of us available on digital platforms, you know, alternative to what is being put on mainstream media. There's a lot of people that do see mainstream media as propaganda. So we just like to let you know that independent journalists are there we are here and we can help answer questions and have discussions all you have to do is dm send through um some messages and we're happy to have this conversation so today's conversation jad let's hit the nail on the head we're talking about lebanon and beirut and the multitude of crises the country is facing however let's talk a bit more currently um Lately, there was a large discussion about bringing Leban Lebanese elections um, forward, so we would have them in March rather than in May. We did hear from the Lebanese president, and he did say, well, this could A, be against the law and does uh, exclude a large number of um, voters that do have a chance to turn 21 if they were given a couple more months. So before we have this, okay, I like the fact that you smiled. So obviously you have a wonderful opinion on this. What is it, Jad? Tell me. No, uh, I have my suspicions about why our political class wants to uh, move the elections forward because that's not the usual behavior. And anyways, when you want to draft a law, you have to say the reasons behind drafting any law. First of all, it's not the duty of the Lebanese parliament to set a fixed date for the election. It's the duty of the government. Uh, the parliament should open a window during which the election should be held. And then it's up to the uh, executive branch of government to decide uh, on which specific date. Uh, that's one. Second, usually, uh, based on our practice for the last 10 years, uh, the parliament and the political power in Lebanon was never so uh, enthusiastic about elections. They postponed election three times. Uh, and now suddenly 
they wanted just uh, moving moving forward about two months. So the question is why. My problem is that even though I'm really suspicious about the reason, and I believe it's something related to uh, bringing the uh, campaign period down a couple of months to make it harder for any opposition forces to really campaign, and it would be easier for the already established campaigns uh, to already campaign because they have their routes. Uh, and also the expats, because the expats should have some certain uh, timetable for them to get registered to vote and all of the other uh, things required. So these are being held under threat just to uh, shorten the election cycle. That's one. And so, but my my only problem was with those who are opposing the March date and prefer the May date is the two reasons that they gave. First of all, is the uh, weather. The weather should, might be stormy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something to have in mind, but it's not that uh, dramatic. But the other, having the around 10,000 Lebanese losing their vote, because between these two months, uh, 10,000 Lebanese would be 21 years old, so they can vote. Well then, let's draft the law, finally, to make anyone over 18 years old, so they get the vote. So that's a little bit uh, hypocritical. You know, I, I, I'm loving this conversation. I'm so excited to carry on because it is just, there's so much different discourse taking place on social media. There are a lot of people that are part of the opposition and the diaspora or expats, shall we call them, that are actually quite excited that it's coming up in March and were went straight down and registered when they found out that they could be voting for the 128 seats. And there's this huge rally going on with Saudi and Mintashreen and come on. And, and there's this like renewed hope of we can do this and they're giving us a chance. We don't know why we're all a bit skeptical, but let's take um, this opportunity. Now, I love the fact that you mentioned that it shortens the campaign cycle. So because, and this is a conversation that I had with our Lebanese editor when he was saying, you know, the opposition need to come together, they need to create one voice and they need to speak together in order to be able to make a difference in the elections. Otherwise, they're going to stay segregated and people are not going to understand what they do or what they stand for. So are going to end up probably voting for the known opposition, which some are calling the Kate'ib party and the Lebanese forces party, shall we say. So shortening this campaign period does not give the new opposition or the opposition that was maybe birthed from the October 17, you know, 2019 revolution, a chance to really give uh, their notice and what they, what they stand for. A lot have been afraid to make these statements because they were scared of a backlash or maybe harder uh, circumstances or consequences from the opposing militias. So they have kept quite quiet. So I, 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 as I said, I'm really excited and I think we're brainstorming here because I didn't expect us to go down this route, but um, what's the solution then? Well, first of all, there is no solution because uh, to propose any solution, you have to have the upper hand in the current balance of power, which uh, none of the opposition groups have at the moment. So the fact is that, yes, we have a multifaceted problem. 
first of all, uh, the political system is in jeopardy, but the balance of power held by the uh, established political actors is still being held, especially by Hezbollah and everyone else, definitely. So that's is going to stay, and they will have the upper hand in the agenda setting and uh, just modeling, modulating the rhetoric, the official rhetoric. From the side of the opposition, I cannot call the Lebanese forces uh, in any kind of opposition, but they are uh, branding them, themselves as the opposition. Also the Kata'ib, but the new, between brackets, uh, groups have a big question to make because realistically, there is no way, I cannot imagine any way where they will be all unified in one uh, list or vote during the election. It's not feasible. The question is, will they organize the disputes? Will they just have any form of uh, alliances, even let's break them down into two groups? Or will they be scattered all, the, all, all over the place? Things are looking messy at the time, and this is not so hopeful. I don't like to be the one who curbs the enthusiasm of anyone, but... Uh, in the first place, I'm not, I'm not too optimistic about any elections held with this electoral law made by the current political class and managed and run, an election managed and run by the, this political class. We have had many examples in the past where one can doubt the uh, credibility of the results of the elections. And uh, I really doubt that it won't be the case this time also. Well, let's discuss this electoral law that you uh, question. Um, why do you question it? And what is the alternative? And can is that achievable um, if there was any form of resistance to the current you know, strategy of bringing the elections forward under this current electoral law? Well, first of all, changing the electoral law is always feasible in Lebanon. It can be done in one parliamentary session. But the problem with the current electoral law is, first of all, it takes into consideration just one dimension of the uh, identity of the Lebanese citizen, which is his or her confession. So you are already brought into a binary choice between confessions, and, and that's already just putting parameters around the rules of the game. And then, uh, since it's a proportional law, there are some small tweaks and some small gerrymandering uh, been done around the uh, electoral districts, which already favors political parties over others. So let's say, let's have an example. Maybe in raw numbers, the Lebanese Communist Party might have more uh, uh, voters than the Kata'a Party, or at least they are somewhere around uh, each other. But given that you have small electoral districts already drawn around confessional uh, demographics, and since since the civil war, our confessions are already this, uh, placed in specific areas where any political party having any affiliation all over the confessions. So Kataeb might have the same number of people as the Communist Party, but the Kataeb people are in Matin, a little bit in Zahli, a little bit in Beirut, and that's it. 
So this, the same number will give you MPs, while if you're scattered all over the country because you're a non-confessional party, you have no chance. So it might, the change might be through the electoral district, through at least incorporating a, a secular element in the quotas or any other uh, solution that any political party might address. But none of the uh, political parties we have in power already in Lebanon have any incentive to go down that road. So that's why I'm not too optimistic. Yeah, um, I can understand what you're saying, and I think this is obviously what we what, where we were trying to lead. You know, like no, so the hope that is in the diaspora and mostly with the expats or the trending on social media, we're not seeing a lot of this in traditional media. You know, there's a lot more debate, um, and there's a lot more focus on interpolitical fighting and voice to the current kleptocracy. Shall we say? than maybe independent voices. Independent voices are finding their spaces online. So the discussion online is the impact can happen. However, when, are we, when do you think we need to see this change with the new opposition, shall we put it, you know, in order to maybe restore any form of light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I, I return to my initial point, with, which is the balance of power. The election, is a reflection to a changed balance of power. If the balance of power isn't changed in, in real life, one cannot hope for change through the election. So the election should mirror a social change. The question now is, do we have the sufficient social change or has the uh, kleptocracy in Lebanon managed to uh, main, uh, have some certain maintenance over its clientelistic uh, routes. It's difficult to judge because we had had a massive exodus from the country during the th three last years. So some numbers are saying that the figures are around 200,000 or 250,000 uh, people who already left. And not all of them, but most of these people are from uh, from a smaller age category. And the smaller age categories usually are more leaning towards the opposition from the uh, ruling class. That's one. Second, placing a big hope on the expats usually is uh, being challenged by uh, real numbers. If we go back to 2018, uh, uh, elections, maybe we had around 1.5 million voters. I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's over a million voters, uh, around 1.5 million. How many expats voted? 47,000. And the 47,000 votes were scattered all over the electoral district. So their impact is really not that big, but it's an impact nevertheless. Now the expat vote votes might get a little bit higher, but one cannot expect a large, uh, a big jump uh, because it's it's hard. The logistics of voting abroad isn't as easy as one thinks. So if one is living in Toulouse, he would have to have a flight to Paris or Marseille to be able to vote and just go back. It will cost them money and time, and that's not available to all people.
Yeah, I completely agree. Now, do you feel like you're going to be part of this exodus? I mean, currently we know you're based in Beirut. So there's so much to cover, but again, you know, you could cover this from Cyprus. You could cover this from somewhere else in the Mediterranean, or do you not have the availability to be able to leave? I mean, there's so many, this question is being asked to a lot of Lebanese. I mean, I'm having it asked to me as to why I'm still here. So that's why I think it's nice to know, you know, what is your objective? Well, that's the million dollar question. I don't know my objective at the moment because it's it's a gray area that we are passing through. Uh, leaving the country for me isn't an easy option. When I had the decision made last year to go to Dubai, I thought that it was going to be a transitional period because Dubai is a little bit close. Uh, and then I'll make my decision during the couple of coming years. That didn't happen, but... Uh, at the time, uh, leaving the country for me isn't a political decision. It's uh, it's a complex decision because uh, I have my parents here and uh, my sister and brother already left the country. So I'm the only one staying here. And since I'm managing to stay alive, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stay here for the moment, but I cannot make a definitive stand, stance for the long shot for the long uh, term i don't yeah. know about you but it's a i don't no no i i am i'm with you a hundred percent jad um i'm gonna wrap this up quickly but what i usually do is give a space to my guest um you have a chance to speak to my audience and say whatever is on your mind so jad the microphone is yours well, thank you. Uh, if something has to be said, uh, for me, it's the most important issue in life in general and uh, during these times specifically, is that against all odds, even though uh, all indications uh, doesn't point us to a bright future for the at least couple of upcoming years in Lebanon, uh, uh, one should manufacture hope, manufacture hope because Hope is the only uh, fuel that is going to bring us back our agency as citizens to just try and do something. Maybe we will fail, but not trying will we definitely fail. So uh, it's a hard task. It's not as, uh, as easy as it is on the ears to manage and manufacture hope because uh, our daily lives are really uh, a struggle now. But uh, that's the only way forward, and there is no point in uh, hopelessness. That's it. It's so nice to hear those words, and with everything that we've just had to discuss, that um, you can still even put those, string those sentences together in this uh, day and age and under these circumstances. So, Jad, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to remind everybody listening that Devon X is a crowdfunded organization and we do require donations to keep bringing you exclusive content. Thank you all for listening. And Jad, thank you for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, Sophie. It's the pleasure is all mine.